Welcome to Boise Songcock. I'm James Coberly Smith. Give me just a second, set this guitar down if you would, please. Thank you. Songs. What we're going to be doing on Boise Song Talk is we're going to be speaking with a number of the great local songwriters about how they write their songs. Now, they're all great live performers, and I encourage you to go out and see their live shows. However, we will not be emphasizing performance here. Instead, we'll be speaking with them about how they write their songs. Now, let's go over and meet tonight's special guest, Ned Evett. Good to see you, my friend. King Thank James. you so much for coming. Nice to see you as well. All right, my friend. Now, normally, I uh, don't uh, throw a person's website out right at the beginning, but I'm going to say this. People should go check www.nedevitt.com. We may put the graphic up later in the show. The reason is that website, what you have on there is so cool because it takes us over to the Guitar World links where you have these instructional things on how to play some of this really cool stuff you do. And it's really a real bonus stuff in addition to all the other cool stuff on your website. Um, the thing I always have thought about you, Ned, because I've had the pleasure of seeing you in so many different circumstances, uh, electric, acoustic, big stage, little stage, is to me, the bigger the show, the more people are watching you, the better you play. You rise to the occasion like a veteran because you've toured all around the world. You're a really a, a veteran guy. And that, when I see that, that really tells me that. You just like, wow, here he is. Now, um, you, you have a, a song on the Boise 150, 150 CD. You have many albums out. They're all excellent. Your most recent one, Treehouse, uh, produced by Adrian Malou a brilliant impressionist guitarist himself. Um, and Adrian Ballou, by the way, uh, was a member of King Crimson. He worked with uh, Frank Zappa, David Bowie, uh, Talking Heads, just to name a few. So I suspect he loved to have the opportunity to play with you. I mean, that had to be cool for him to, to produce your album. Joe Satriani, some people may have heard of him. He just refers to you as a monster player. This is Joe Satriani. Joe Satriani, yes. Everyone's nodding. Uh-huh. Refers to Ned as a monster player. Um, USA Today. Pretty good-sized publication. It says, Ned Evett is the perfectly sane and vastly entertaining master of the fretless glass neck guitar. So let's go straight to this glass neck guitar because this is a really unique thing. Tell me about how this happened for you. Where, how'd you get into this? Well, this is the, the well, we, you mentioned Adrian Ballou, for example. Yeah. I got the idea to play fretless guitar, well, from Adrian, who got the idea from Frank Zappa. Frank gave Adrian 
uh, a fretless guitar produced by Acoustic, the Acoustic Company. They used to make the bass amps. Oh, yeah, yeah. They made a production fretless guitar, and they made about 100 of them. They could not sell any of them. Really? So this fretless guitar sat in the window of the Ventura Guitar Center in California for like three or four years, and every day Frank would walk in, pass it, and go, oh, it's gathering more dust today. So this is a fretless guitar. One day Frank said, give me that fretless guitar in the, in the, in the, in the window. He took it home, he played it himself on a few records, then he gave it to Adrian Ballou and Adrian joined his band. And Adrian sort of did his own take on it. He played it on a couple of tracks with the, with the Talking Heads and in King Crimson. When I was a kid, I saw Adrian with King Crimson on MTV when MTV used to show complete live concerts from beginning to end on Saturday nights. And I saw him play it on one song, and I went, well, that's amazing. So I said, mm -hmm. uh, but I kept expecting him to bring it back out, and he never did, just that one song. So I thought to myself, what, what, what if you built an entire style around that, that guitar that I just saw? And that's what I've kind of done with, with my whole career, is base a, base a style around an instrument that was kind of misunderstood. It's a difficult instrument to play. I bet. It's like, if, it's imagine, you know, it's like, it's like playing a violin sort of without a bow. Yeah. You know, and I got into doing the glass because I kept wearing out the wooden fingerboards that I had. <laughs> You'd wear out your fingerboards? I would wear them out, they would get pitted out and then they would start to buzz. Oh, and a friend of mine in San Francisco, this is like in the mid 90s, he uh -huh. was a guitar builder and also a glass worker. So he would cut glass for like Bay Area homes and install the glass, you know, so. I got the idea for how about a glass fingerboard? Uh -huh. And he said, that'd be easy. And unlike wood, glass is, is easy. Just to take, you just take a glass cutter, zip, zip, it's cut, it's done. You know, bevel the edges so you don't slice your fingers in uh -huh. two. <laughs> and then it glues on. And this is the original piece of glass that he cut for me that I glued on with, a, with this stuff that's called mirror mastic. It's like a, a mirror glue. Huh. So I've had this guitar since like 95, 96. Wow. So. Well, and now, since you're, are you play, uh, playing in this in a tuning? Yes. Uh, whenever I see you fretless, then you're in a tuning, generally. These days, these days. I used to play in oh. standard tuning. Really? And um, uh, the thing is, uh, I finally, I've gone, my songwriting has sort of taken over my lead guitar work. I'm, I'm focused on that now. Uh -huh. The thing is, it's very difficult to play accompaniment on a fretless guitar if it's in standard tuning. Uh -huh. I got into listening to Robert Johnson really hardcore for like two years. I had all of the Columbia, he has like 30 records, you know, 30 yeah, individual yeah. songs. I listened to those nonstop for about two years on tour to the exclusion of everything else. I did, I went back and forth across the United States on tour about three times with nothing but that stuff playing. Uh -huh. And this is the tuning that Robert Johnson uses. What is the tuning? It's an op this is an open D. So it's an open chord. So if you're if you're singing, if you're composing and writing songs, all of a sudden you get a nice big ringing open chord, and you can sing against it quite easily. Mm -hmm. Where it's difficult to sing against a fretless guitar that's tuned in standard tuning. That's more like a lead vocal type thing, where you you know, like Mark Knopfler, where you would mm -hmm. sing a bit and then play some lead, mm -hmm. alternate. So I'm more, I'm more into like the accompanying myself on guitar. So. So. Given that you are such an extraordinary guitar player, well, I mean, and you are, and, and playing electric, playing acoustic, I mean, I've seen you do it all. 
was the guitar what you did most originally, and would would that be what would uh, would you generally write a song with a guitar? Oh, absolutely. Uh -huh. I played I played classical guitar and a really? lot of lead guitar uh -huh. for about five years, and I had gotten pretty good. I'll you know. say. <laughs> and, uh, and then I got, then I went to work at a local guitar shop in Boise called Old Boise Guitar. Oh Guy. yeah. And Johnny that's Shoes Johnny Shoes, and that was where my song education began because we did nothing but listen. This is more like repetitive listening talk here. We did nothing but listen to Richard Thompson and Bob Dylan all day, every day, and I did this for like two or three years and just really mm. absorbed, you know, songwriting at a, at a basic level. So, uh -huh. And there's lots, you know, Pino Bennett used to hang around the store. There was a lot yeah. of great, you know, songwriters and, music, you know, musical types hanging in the shop, so. Uh, when did you uh, first start writing songs then? I was 21. Yeah. yeah. They were terrible. <laughs> they were absolutely terrible, you know. I used to just obsess over every verse and every chorus. I think my first two, two songs that I <laughs> recorded, I spent nearly six months working on them, demoing them, uh -huh. you know, and just squeezing all of the life out of them. <laughs> it could happen. Yeah, yeah, certainly. So yeah, I, see, I started writing songs about five years after I started playing guitar. Uh-huh. Well, you feel like giving us one of those songs on this uh, magic guitar of yours here? Sure. Let's yeah, hear one of these, yeah. Ned Abbott. And uh, by the <coughs> way, again, nedabbott.com. People go check that out. Well, why don't we play a song about uh, this guitar? I was like, oh. story songs are great. If you can write a song about the guitar that you're playing, then it, it sort of draws people in because they go, oh, well. So he's singing about the thing on stage. It's kind of like writing a song for your ventriloquist dummy if you were a ventriloquist. So uh, the name of this song is called Golden Gate. And I play this song upside down, which means instead of this way, you play with your hand this way. It makes it easier to do some of the things I'm doing. Golden Gate, Golden Gate.
neglected every now and then. I left you in my storage space for months and years on end. Everything was changed when I was set your neck. Baby, baby, how could I forget? How could I forget? Golden Gate, Golden Gate. So your guitar's name is Golden Gate? Yes. All right. Jeez. Don't worry, I'll name you someday. Don't worry. It's going to be all right. It's going to be all right. I'm getting a lot of backlash over here now. Thanks a lot, Pat. Yeah, yeah, anytime. See, that is rocking. Um, a lot of your... Um, uh, uh, Middle of, middle of the middle, the yeah, album before sure. Treehouse, I was listening to, uh, and man, the end of that first song, uh, Faded Away, I think is the first song. Oh, yeah, yeah. The, the, the electric guitar playing, I called it a blizzard of guitars. It's just, oh, yeah. because, it's see, we can't really do justice to all that here. We're going to be talking more about songwriting, but wow, people, that's why people should go check out your stuff, because, oh, it's just... It's just spectacular work on those. Albums. Well, I appreciate that, James. You know, it's like I like big records. The, the problem that I would get into with producing records before, uh -huh. I would write ten songs, yeah, and then I would start making the record, and the record would take two years to make. Understood. So my songwriting, in some ways, stayed fairly. The progression of it, I felt, was between records was fairly linear. What I did was with Treehouse, since Adrian Ballou was producing the record and mm -hmm. having a producer for mm -hmm. the first time, uh -huh. he wanted 20 songs. He wanted more, actually. Uh -huh. He wanted like uh -huh. 25 or 30 songs uh -huh. uh, to pick from. Uh -huh. And I, I, all of a sudden, I had to go into overdrive, uh -huh. calling all these songs together and finishing it up. And that's after doing that, I realized it's better to write more songs sure. before going into making a record and, and, stop, and don't be so focused on producing the big guitars and the big drums, which mm -hmm. I love that stuff, but, mm -hmm. you know, it's a... Uh, but you've done it. Yeah, I feel like I have. <laughs> I mean, you have. I mean, you yeah, did yeah, it brilliantly. Yeah. Thank you. Thank now, so what would you say with Treehouse, because I'm going to talk some more about Treehouse now. Okay. What would you say with Treehouse, what was the new thing about that album for you? Um, you know, I've been doing a lot of work with singer-songwriters as a lead player, uh -huh. backing them up. Some were great people, some were not such great people, had substance abuse issues and not very dependable, flaky. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and I found myself spending a lot of my energy as a musician backing people up and I, I'm like, what am I doing? I'm, you know, I'm, I'm as equally as accomplished of a songwriter. Mm -hmm. So I, I sort of, with Treehouse, I shifted the formula around mm -hmm. and I stopped backing people up as much and started just kind of doing my own thing, mm -hmm. you know, in terms of the, the songwriting. Mm -hmm. And I took a little bit of emphasis off of the guitar. Mm -hmm. It's definitely like a songwriting record. Yeah. But the, but the uh, you know, the guitar is still there as well. So. Sure. The thing that struck me so much with Treehouse, uh, and it's actually present in some of the other things too, but the thing that really surprised me um, was the melodies. Mm -hmm. The melodies are great. 
They're all over the place. Um, um, Treehouse uh, has a great melody, the title track. And, and, and the vocal melody is the same line as the guitar line you're playing, correct? Correct. So with that song, did you get the guitar line first or the vocal? Can you remember? On oh, Treehouse, I actually wrote Treehouse in Boise, living above the Roosevelt Market in the East End, which is this little market. I used <laughs> to right. live in the apartment above it. And, oh. uh, and there was a huge oak tree. Uh -huh. And I would just sit there at night with the window open, listening to the squirrels run around. Uh -huh. So that was kind of the inspiration for the song. And I don't remember. I, that's chicken and the egg. I don't yeah, remember which came first. Okay. But, uh, I was just curious. But they are very tightly linked. Yeah. And there's are. a number of moments on Treehouse when sure. uh, the guitar is, it's definitely one of those records where the guitar is backing up the melody. Yes. Where yeah. in my other records, I think in some ways it was that relationship is not as not as direct. So I, yeah, that's, that's I, I, I felt the same when I listened. I like, as I say, I like them both ways, but, but melody is what really surprised me. Take a song like um, Bend Me. Sure. That's now, no, I'll, no, I'm not saying you have oh, to play. Okay. You can. <laughs> you're you're going to play whatever you want to play. I don't ever. I know. I love that song. I love. But, but the thing guitar. about Bend Me uh, is there are spectacular melodies in that in both the co the verse and the chorus. Can you remember when you were making that song up? Mm -hmm. Did you? In fact, that whole song, did you get the melodies, the music first, before the lyrics? Well, I have to say, in, in my process, it generally yeah. all comes out at, a, at about the same time. Is that right? Okay. Clip. Although each song is kind of a step forward, Bend Me was the first song that I wrote in the, in the Robert Johnson tuning, in that. Uh -huh. Left back that I can't 
I mean, uh, when you go, I mean, the verse is, and then when you go to the chorus, da, 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 it's like both of those parts are so melodic. So you think that when that came to you, it all kind of came pretty quickly, like in, almost in one sitting, the whole, at least the music. Yeah, my parents were big classical music fans growing up, so we used to sit around as kids. Basically, you're being force-fed Bach and Mozart. And the great thing about that is we used to sit around playing games, like trying to guess uh, where the melodies would go, uh, trying to guess where the chords would modulate to, just like, hmm. Just, just again, like repetitive listening is such a huge force in most musicians' lives. You, you really lock into something, and you just listen to it and just study it, and, and just becomes part of you. So, yeah, so definitely with like melodies, I've always been a big major chord sort of a guy, uh -huh. you know, like, you know, not so much the minor chords and I've always found like hard rock, as much as I love the energy, I have a hard time writing songs over stuff that doesn't have like a major third in it, uh -huh. you know what I mean? I, I just, I love the emotion of major chords and, and you know, it doesn't have to, and, and sort of playing games with it being an optimistic song because it can be very negative and still have sort of a bright, sound of the song. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, Bach, baseball, Beatles, and the blues, right? Oh, yeah, man. That's yeah. what you said you were into oh, yeah, it. Yeah, and I read these. some interview with it. You sure. were saying that. Yeah, baseball's a good one. Teaches you how to. A lot of melody in baseball. Yeah. <laughs> baseball teaches it. Baseball will teach you if you are good enough to do something. I see. Most of us are not good enough oh. to be a professional baseball player. If you if you have that aspiration as a kid, you oh. you rapidly go, I am not good enough. Uh-huh. So wow. That's that's what it was like for me. Well, Had much more better results with guitar. That thing about Bach though is fascinating. Bach and the Beatles. I mean, geez, talk about two sources of melody. Oh yeah, sure. Especially as sure. a kid. What a fascinating thing you're trying to create the uh, next note of a melody to a Bach piece. Yeah, we had oh, one, it's funny, we had one Beatles record. Well, actually, not many rock records at all. Uh -huh. My parents were both uh, teachers. My dad was a college English teacher uh -huh. here at Boise State. And his students would occasionally give him a record. Dude, you gotta check this out. This is the news any younger. We, so we had like one Pink Floyd record, which we never listened to. <laughs> and then we had Abbey Road. Somebody had given them Abbey Road, and we uh -huh. listened to Abbey Road over and over and oh, over okay. again. Just, it was the only rock record in the house, so. Yeah. Now. You said something to me recently. I had, uh, we were down at the Grove, and I had heard you do bend me, and I was commenting to you then something about what I'm saying now. Oh, the melodies, this and that. And you said something like, well, I used to, uh, that's how I used to write melodies. Now I like to write between the notes, I think. Be mm. uh, between the, si you're singing between the lines, I think is what you said. Do you? Do you remember saying that? I mean, well, do you know what, the, what were you trying yeah. to tell me? What, well, what does that mean? I, well, and when, you take the, uh, when you take the blues, the, the blues is de definitely like a between the notes thing. It's like major chords and major tonality like Bach and stuff. It's very, it's very stepwise. Whereas the blues you get between the, thir the third can be a minor third or a major third. So eventually the melodies start to go in that direction. So I've tried to be a little bit less you know, less sort of stepwise and try to get in between the notes when I'm writing melodies. So when you're saying between the notes, it's, you're just saying between the major chords, sort of. Sort of, it's in that region, it's uh -huh. in the third, the region of the third and the sixth. It just okay. sort of like slides in between. I know that, that sounds kind of no. theoretical and I don't approach it theoretically. Uh -huh. Like every songwriter, you're trying to make an emotional statement. Mm -hmm. But the emotion of like 
you know, making the melody kind of snake around, yeah, not yeah. be so ding, 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 ding. It's just like auto-tune, it's like ding, 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 ding. Yeah, yeah. Auto-tune yeah. works because people are, they like to hear those clear relationships. Yeah, yeah. So it's fun to sort of like permutate those relationships when we uh -huh. can. All right. Well, let's jump on over to some lyrics. Sure. There are such, there's a lot of great lyrics. One I'll point out in uh, uh, Falling in Line, which also has a great melodic chorus as well. Thank you. Uh, but uh, there's a line, science lying, dying by the side of the road. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that is an amazing line because you science. are working this I sound, science lying, dying by the side. Yeah. And it's a very poetic thing. I mean, it, it's, it's an audio hook. The yeah, way that happens, yeah, yeah. and um, some people write like that or throw it in sometime. When I heard it, it really caught my ear, but it, what was extra special was that it also was meaningful. Sometimes it, it wasn't just a word game. I, I, I'm making it sound like it was, you know, science lying oh, dying yeah. by the side of the road. I mean, there was some heft to it. So, uh, how did a, well, that's a wild line. How would a yes. line like that come to you? Well, I, you know, I have to say, you know, being a big fan of the Beatles, John Lennon was famously would write so, lyrics that he was playing around with the media, like glass onion, look into a glass onion. It's like, oh, yeah, my yeah. lyrics don't mean anything. Uh -huh. And it was a comment on, you know, they're just sounds, just words. And I always appreciated that. But as I've gotten along in my songwriting, I, I like stuff that has you know, meaning. Mm -hmm. It can be metaphorical mm -hmm. meaning, mm -hmm. but you know, I like it when it has an internal structure and it works. Science lying dying by the side of the road just right. means uh, it's when sometimes, like when faith becomes, when, when faith was a sort of ruling body of the world, mm -hmm. you know, it sometimes squished reason, you know, with a pretty heavy boot. So um, we're winding toward the show end already. I'm going to quickly touch on this amazing. No, no, <laughs> this is a talk show, buddy. This amazing song, Mars River Delta oh, 2128. Yeah, Delta. yeah, yeah um, I'd love to talk about that. And uh, it's so wild because it's an, here you got outer space stuff, you got lyrics, and yet, and yet you have this line: Ten men came looking for me, and one man walked away. So you have all these cool lyrics about, uh, you know being on Mars, but then you tie it to like an old Western. Yeah, man, yeah. Ten men came working me, you know, one man walk away. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. It's very cool. Thank you very much. I call that future folk, and I've been writing a bunch of new, future new tunes. Folk. Yeah, you know, it's Excellent. just like, I, I, it sort of began to bore me hearing, especially living in Nashville, you'd have a lot of Americana bands would all be writing about the Johnstown flood and the, yeah. and the influenza epidemic of 1917. I'm just like, and just wearing the clothes and the whole thing, it was just like, you know, I like, it just be, began to be kind of a cliche. So I thought, well, why don't, why don't we set, you know, songs in the future? So Mars of Delta is kind of that. So. Well, why don't you play us something to take us out here, my friend. Ned okay. Evett, thank you so much for coming, my friend. Thank really you very much. It. Mars River Delta, 2128. Ten men came looking for me and one man walked away.
interplanetary money fund doesn't like a man to be living by the skills of the father's trade doesn't like a man like me they send the men to break and find poke poke and put behind all the metal coming up for free he's eating the martian gravity 